So if you have your Bible, I would love for you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning as we talk about, I think the question that I want to start out with us today is this. I think this is an, uh, an operating question for most of us in our lives about how we're going to live pretty much every day. Question is this. How do you know, if I'm a Christian and I'm, I'm supposed to do the right thing, how do you know what you're supposed to do when you don't know what's going to happen when you do it? It's kind of like, like driving down the road with your eyes closed. How am I supposed to know when to stop, when to, when to go, when to turn? If there's cars in front of me, if there's cars, how do I know if I don't have my eyes open, right? I actually think a lot of people drive with their eyes closed anyway, but that's another, that's a different message, right? You need to be able to see. So when I'm making decisions, I feel like I need to be able to see what's going to happen in order for me to make a good decision. Some people I've heard say, well, maybe God doesn't care what you choose. He saves you and then you just live your life. He cares about the big picture, like love God and love people. But beyond that, whatever, just do whatever. I've heard other people say, well, you'd better watch out. You better be exactly right, and you need to take exactly the right steps and be on exactly the right path. Otherwise, God's going to zap you. <laughs> He's going to come after you. God's going to get you. God's going to be mad at you and punish you. What we find from Paul's personal story here in 2 Corinthians is that Paul did not believe either of these things. He saw God as intimately involved in detailed leading, but he didn't fear a misstep or even feel the stress of figuring out exactly what to do. For some of you, today's message is a challenge and a relief. It's an invitation into a life of peace in your soul, a peace that you haven't been able to find and you don't know why because you're trying to do the right thing, but you can never figure out what the right thing to do because you can't see what's going to happen, so you don't know what decisions to make. A very fundamental and basic characteristics of what it means to walk by faith instead of sight is what we're going to talk about today. One of our core values, our first core value, we, walk, we value walking by faith instead of sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We're going to get there in a couple of months. We don't know what's coming, so we don't know the right way to go. So how does a Christian walk by faith? Three things. One, we trust that the Lord is leading. God is, I'm going to tell you right now, God is actively leading in your life. He has a way for you. He has a plan for you. He has a path for you. He wants you on it. Second, he wants us to know his leading. God is leading and he wants us. He's not hiding his leading from us. Like, see if you can figure it out. He's not giving you a pop quiz. He's not putting it in your lap and be like, well, if you don't figure this one out, you're in so much trouble. Can't wait to give you an F. That's not God. God wants you to know his leading. And the third one, we trust that God's way is better than anything we could come up with ourselves. Now that practically is where most of us struggle. That God's way, which keeps showing up in my life uninvited, is better than anything I could work out myself. I'm going to tell you right now, if you struggle with those ideas, you are going to struggle to walk by faith in your life. Because you can't surrender to a God you don't trust. You can't surrender to a God who you second guess whether he is good or not. You cannot surrender if you're always on a hunt to figure out what he wants and you never can seem to find it. 
I don't know how to trust God. I don't know what he wants. If you're always on a hunt to find out what he wants, you're never going to be able to trust him and surrender to him. We talk about seeking the Lord, and that's a good term that has rich meaning. We should be seeking the Lord. But sometimes I think it's a tripping point for good-hearted believers because when we talk about seeking the Lord, it's kind of like this, this cosmic hide-and-seek game with God. But I think we forgot something. God always comes to us first. God always comes out. Do you know none of you would be believers today if God hadn't come looking for you? Do you know that? If God was just up in heaven like, well, I hope they figure it out. They've made a mess of it. Good luck with that. We're lost. Nobody's going to figure it out. If he hadn't sent prophets and, and his son and messengers and his word, if he hadn't revealed himself through nature, we wouldn't know him and we would be lost hopelessly. God always comes after us first. When Jesus tells the story of a lost sheep, the sheep doesn't go find the shepherd. Who goes finds the sheep? The shepherd goes, right? Even the, the third parable in that, in that progression in Luke 15, the lost son, the son thinks he's coming home. He's decided to go home. But when he gets home, he finds out the father's been looking for him the whole time, been waiting and looking for him. So the idea is that God comes looking for us. God wants to show us. And so we don't have to go find him. We just have to listen. Today, we want to look at how this played out in Paul's life in one specific situation. We remember from last week and last summer that Paul is writing this letter to the church that he founded. He had promised to come and visit them, but then he didn't. And they were upset by that. They accused Paul of being less than honest. He wasn't trustworthy. Why should we listen to you? And Paul says something to them. He puts this in a frame that is so astounding. He describes the reason he didn't come in an entirely different idea, a shocking one, to teach them, and by extension to teach us, what it means to follow God by faith. So watch how he describes it. We're going to start at verse 12 and 13. He says this. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. So what Paul says here is this. He came to a place called Troas, which is on the western shore of Asia Minor. And so he's ministering there. And he says, when I got there, it was obvious that God was doing something in this spot, right? God was doing something. And then I, I, I made this change of course and, and I went on to Macedonia. I crossed over the Aegean Sea and I went over into Greece into Macedonia. And so I, he's, as he describes this, let's take a look at what he's telling us. Paul is on a journey for a purpose. As Paul goes around, he is spreading the message of Jesus. And here, as we read these verses, it talks about, I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ. But actually, in the original language, there's no idea of preaching there. It's something that he picks up on in the next verses that we're going to read. It's the idea that, that, yes, certainly you preach the gospel, but Paul is much less focused about what he says. And what he's more focused with is that the gospel goes with him wherever he goes. That I, what he says, I went to Troas with the gospel. It's like the gospel is hanging on him and wherever he goes, the gospel flows out over from him to other people, right? So that idea, Paul is trying to speak there about this purpose, this mission. The gospel goes with him wherever he goes. And I don't know if you know this, but if you're a believer, the gospel goes with you wherever you go. Did you know that? You have the spirit of almighty God in your soul. 
So wherever God takes you this week, this day, the gospel goes with you. The presence of God goes with you. And there is a power and a purpose to that. Certainly he can speak, but Paul is talking about more than just speaking the gospel. He's talking about living the gospel and how we walk. Do you know that some of the way that you take the gospel with you is you testify to it in the choices you make about how you live? I'm not talking about, well, I don't curse and I don't lie. I'm not talking, I mean, that's part of it, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this. Very simple things. Your viewpoint on life, how you process this world, whether you live in peace and hope or not, or whether you walk into every room totally stressed, whether every conversation has to be about you or not. Like you testify to the gospel as believers in everything you do in everywhere you go, the gospel hangs on you. For parents, we say this often, that a relationship with Jesus for your kids is more caught than taught. Meaning, parents, you can say whatever you want, but kids are going to watch what you do. And if what you do doesn't line up with what you say, they're going to believe what you do. The way that we live is much more sticky than the words that we say. So Paul talks about the gospel goes with me. And so I went to Troas and the gospel was with me. And as he went there, there was no doubt, there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus believed Paul's work was important. It's hard, even today, thousands of years later, it is hard to overstate the impact of the Apostle Paul on the church. Most of the New Testament that we have, we have because of the Apostle Paul. And most of the spread of the church in the first century is due to the work that God did through the Apostle Paul. But even on that great mission, there is a very practical nature in following Jesus because Paul was a guy, a regular guy. And he made plans and then found out that plans changed. He figured out somewhere along the way that he was not fully in charge of his life. Have you figured that out yet? You are not fully in charge of your life. Did you know that? Like somebody, some real important things happened to you somewhere along the way, and nobody asked you if, you, if this is okay, would you like to have this happen? No, I would not. Oh, oh, we're sorry. We'll pull that back. That doesn't happen, right? Same thing with Paul. Paul, as, as he's following Jesus, the plans change. What happened with Paul is he had practiced following Jesus enough that when it was time for him to follow through with unexpected twists or turns, Paul was tuned in. He was listening and he was ready to follow. This is how God leads us. God exerts his lordship in our life many times by changing the plan and asking us to pay attention and to follow him. What we find here is that Paul as he's following Jesus, it doesn't mean that he's perfect, but he's trying to be faithful. Paul's a regular human being. He is not absolute, just because he has a big mission doesn't mean he's perfect. And I have news, you won't be perfect at it either. No one in this church is perfect at listening to Jesus. Some of it is not because we even try to, we're in rebellion, we're just human beings. A normal part of communication as a human being is misunderstanding and misreading got good news for your marriage if you've ever misunderstood one another. It's normal. It's part of the work we do. It's the challenge that's there. Any relationship you have, misunderstanding and misreading is, so even in my relationship with God, he doesn't misunderstand, but I do. 
That's what happens. So Paul walks in, he comes into Troas, and he feels like, he doesn't describe it, but he feels like there's an open door here. There's an opportunity. This is obvious that God is just allowing this opportunity for me to spread the gospel here. He feels it, he knows it, and he's leading Paul through it. Some of us are open door people. I wanna look for an open door or a closed door. There's nothing really wrong with that, but I would say you can get into a lot of trouble just following open doors because a lot of times God gives you more opportunities than you should say yes to. Sometimes walking by faith means I need to listen to more than just, is it possible, is it good? Because there's a lot of possible things that are good that would overwhelm your life, crush you under the weight of it. God also leads us through his word. God also leads us through prayer. God leads us through those he puts in authority over us, as as the subject of this book is, with the apostleship of Paul. And so there's a lot of room after you've exhausted all of the hard lines you get from scripture and, and that to find out where the Lord is leading. You've got to practice listening to where the Lord is leading. We need to become followers like Paul. Lord, where are you leading? Show me. Now, interestingly, that's verse 12. Then when you get to verse 13, it's different. And verse 13, what he says is, but I could find no peace in my heart. I, and the, the wording is, I had no rest in my soul. And the reason that the Corinthians would know is that he had heard a report from Corinth and he was waiting to find out if they were going to do the right thing or the wrong thing. He was upset about how they were acting, about how they were talking about him, about how they were turning from the Lord. He was upset because he loved them. He was close to them. And he had sent them a letter and he had sent Titus to them with this letter. So he got to Troas and he's like, now God wants to work here, but I can't think straight because I'm so worried about Corinth. And he's looking around for Titus to tell him, how's it going in, how's it going in Corinth? So what Paul kind of says is, I got to Troas. I think I was supposed to share the gospel, but I couldn't. I was too emotional. I was too overwhelmed. I was too distracted. So I moved on to Macedonia. He's almost saying, I blew it, which is a weird thing for an apostle to say in scripture, right? Especially when they're arguing, Paul, you're not trustworthy in what you say. It's a very strange argument that Paul's like, you know what? I got there and I didn't do the right thing. (laughs) I left before I probably was supposed to. What he's saying is, I was ready to do what God wanted, but I physically, emotionally, humanly couldn't do it. So I moved on, meaning I'm probably not trustworthy to know which way to go or when I'm supposed to go. That's terrible news, isn't it? That's a terrible argument for you should follow me. Yeah, I'm not trustworthy in where I'm going or when. But that's not what Paul does with it. I want you to see this. The next verse, after he says, I probably should have kept going, but I didn't. So I said goodbye and went out to Macedonia. Next verse, verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Paul says, I'm not trustworthy. I'm not perfect. I don't see the road. I don't see it all clearly. You can't bet on me. But then he says, thanks be to God. So it makes me ask the question, is it bad news that I'm not trustworthy to know which way to go? What if it isn't bad news that we are weak? What if it isn't our doom that we can't be trusted to know which way to go or when? What if even our mistakes aren't the end of our purpose? What if you have a savior that's bigger and better than all of that? 
Wouldn't that be awesome? That's what Paul says. I blew it, but God never blows it. Some of you are so worried about taking a wrong step or making a mistake, you're afraid of the consequences of it so greatly that you're stuck, you're paralyzed because you don't want to make a mistake. So you make a mistake by not making any mistakes. God is inviting you into it. God is inviting you to follow him, to learn how to follow him. And he is a father who loves you. When my grandchildren who are toddling around, right? They let go of a, of a couch or a, or a coffee table and try to take a step and they fall down. My response to them is, how could you even think that you should have tried? Is that what I do? <laughs> I'm like, go. Yeah, you'll get it, go. Don't you think God's more like that? If I'm good enough as a father to be like that, don't you think our heavenly father is like that with us? Come on, let's go. We will figure it out. Paul says, I don't have to worry. I can have confidence even though I'm not perfect, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't always see what's coming or what needs to be done, but God always sees and God always knows. Paul says he leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Now, the King James translated that long ago. He leads us, at, or, yeah, he leads us in victory in his triumph or whatever. It, it's kind of this idea of we're soldiers with him and we're in this triumph and isn't this great? We're all winning. But that's exactly not the picture Paul's painting here. God is paint, or excuse me, Paul is painting a picture from Roman history, this idea of Roman triumph. It is not our victory it's his victory, and we are his captives. I'll go into a little bit more about this whole picture of a triumph, but the, the, the starting point is this. Paul says, thanks be to God, even though I mess up all the time, God never stops taking me where I need to go. I am so thankful that God is in charge of where I'm going and when, that God is leading me, and, and I can humbly follow him, and I don't have any say. They're like the Corinthians, Paul, you're not a really apostle. You don't even know what you're doing. And Paul's like, you know what? You're right. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a captive to God. I have no idea what the right path is from the wrong path other than the leading of God in my life. What he teaches is that God is faithful in leading us, that God wants to lead us. He is eager to lead us. Now, I know that that's not true for every Christian in the same way. For Paul, it's about being surrendered, right? But we believe God is planned for everybody. God wants to lead everybody. But Paul's writing a book to the Corinthian church, and they're not following God like this. He's written another one to them, and they certainly weren't following God like this in 1 Corinthians. He's writing to them saying, you need to follow Jesus like me. You need to stop thinking that what you need to do is figure it all out and direct your own life. You need to follow Jesus like this, like a captive. The Corinthians instead are like, well, this makes sense. Well, this is what we want. Well, this seems right to us. And it causes them to reject their God-given leader in Paul. They can tell themselves we're following God and, and re refusing to listen to Paul, but that's like saying we can be faithful to following God and reject the things that he's given us to have authority over us. God, people, I'm, I'm a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. I don't have any idea what the word says and I don't care. Those two things don't go together. If you're a Christian and you want to follow Jesus, you need to follow what he says and follow what he gives. You can, we, we know that some believers aren't experiencing 
Well, Paul is here because it requires too much humility. Surrender is too distasteful. But Paul says it's not distasteful at all. What if it's not distasteful for a Christian to say, I'm surrendered? God, do whatever you want. What if it isn't a bad thing? What if it's the best thing? What if it's a pathway to life and peace? Paul says, I am captive to Christ. Thanks be to God. I go wherever he takes me, whenever he takes me there. This picture of a Roman triumph that he's talking about, we have descriptions of this from Josephus, uh, from from other uh, Roman historians. And Josephus, he's talking about the victory of Titus after he destroyed Jerusalem. And it was a celebration thrown in the city of Rome. They would have this big party for for a day, for several days. There were about three days leading up to it. You knew that the the party was coming. Everybody got the day off. Everybody was swarming the streets. There was a big feast. And the idea was, it was this elaborately orchestrated long parade that wound all the way through the city of Rome so that everybody in Rome could come out and cheer the victory of this general. In this case, it was Titus. You are so great. You are so powerful. I can't believe how well you did. And so the whole parade was designed to show the greatness of this general. So they would light incense. There was a smell. The the word Paul picks up there of aroma is the idea of a smell to this. There was a smell to victory. And they would burn animals and, and sacrifices. So the whole city was filled up with the smoke of the victory of this general. And no one could avoid it. No one could miss it. It was a triumphal procession. Some of it was that they brought the captives from whatever battle, whatever cities they took over, whatever. They brought captives and they paraded them in chains before the general. And and that was meant to say, look at how great of a victory I won. These who don't want to be here have to be here. At the end of this parade, most of the time, they executed all these captives. So they did not want to be a part of this parade. They were not like, yeah, you got us. It's fine. No big deal. They were like, they're mar-. the smell to them is we're marching to our death. But for the city of Rome, it was a great celebration. Look at the power of Rome. Look at the power of this general. It was to the glory of this general. And this is the picture that Paul picks to say, this is my life. This is my ministry. It's just me being led as a captive in Christ's triumph. Everyone can come out and smell his victory in the smoke that surrounds my life. Everyone can come out and see my weakness so that his strength is made known. My life is a display of God's power, which means it's clear I don't have power myself and I'm good with that. Thanks be to God. What happens when our life gets turned upside down and it becomes obvious that I don't have the power I wish I did, we rarely say, thanks be to God. We say, God, what do you think you're doing? I had a plan here. It was a good plan. Could you get on board with my plan? Can we stick to the plan? Why did you change the plan? Why are you continuing to change the plan? Can't we get back to the plan? It was a plan that I liked. I was comfortable with that plan. When do we get back to my plan? We are captives. Is that good news to you or bad news to you? Paul says, thanks be to God. I will tell you for the captives in that, in that society, it was an honor-shame society. So that, And it's described in Josephus pretty, pretty exorbitantly that captives would commit suicide so as to not be shamed in this parade. 
because it was so clear in this parade that you are weak and the general is strong. And that was such an unbearable thought that we would be weak and powerless. Doesn't that sound like us today? Much of our prayer life revolves around trying to give God advice, right? Let's bring our request to God and tell him what he should be doing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with lifting up requests. What I'm saying is the attitude of the heart behind it cannot be, God, if you would just listen to me, my life would be good. I got to go to God and say, God, help me listen to you because you see, not me. And I'm your captive. Take me wherever I'm supposed to go. I got plans for today, but if you flip, many of us are living in plans turned upside down right now. This is not the plan I had for my life. Last week or last year or five years ago, I didn't think this is where I'd be right now. Your life has gotten turned upside down. What if that's an evidence that you are a captive in the triumphal procession of Jesus, that he is using it to take you where you need to go for your purpose into eternity, just like he did with Paul? What if it's good news, not bad news? What if you can have confidence instead of fear? What if you can be excited instead of worn out and and weary from the whole thing? What if it's a great thing that you're a captive and that God keeps putting the evidence of that into your life day after day after day? day. Would that change your life? What if the reason you don't have peace is because you keep trying to take control as a captive and it's just not working? This directly connects to the situations where the Corinthians are, are accusing Paul of not being good enough as an apostle because he looks foolish and weak. And Paul makes a ridiculous argument saying, you're right, I'm weak. But he says, you know what? You should be weak too. He doesn't say, I'm weak, so don't listen to me. He says, no, as a believer, it should be natural to be weak in humble surrender. We should be captives to his grace. It is normal to be led by God in your life and to let your life be his, even your mistakes, to be a part of his triumphal procession. Do you ever think that your mistakes have ruined God's plan for your life? They don't. I got good news for you. He's a savior. He's a redeemer. Nothing can stand against the power of the name of Jesus. You know why? You know why I know that? There was a grave that had a body in it and nobody can raise people from the dead, but he came back. So if he can raise from the dead, he can take your mess ups and he can redeem them when you put them in his hands. Isn't that a good thing? Can you? Can you wipe away the past? Can you fix it all? Can you put it all back like it never happened? No, don't try. Give up, surrender, be a captive to Jesus. It is good news that he is the central character of your life, that you are not the center of your story. Thanks be to God. Why? Why is this such good news? Keep going, verse 15 to 17. For we are to God, the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Paul says, first, God being in charge is a good thing. It's the only thing I want. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only way to peace. God being in charge is the only way that happens for believers to be surrendered, living, trusting him. 
That's the only way that happens in your life, to believe it and live surrender to it. But secondly, it means that we wind up taking the hope of men everywhere we go. God being in charge of your path today and this week, just like God being in charge of Paul's path, instead of going back to Corinth, like he said, but winding up over here instead, Paul says this, it's a good thing because when God takes me on the path, he works through me for his will in me for eternity's sake all the time. So when your life gets hijacked this week, what if God is taking you somewhere else with the gospel so it can shake off of you in a different spot than you had planned? What if God is using even your mistakes to direct your life? I'll tell you, it is good news that God's in charge because if God were not in charge, there would be no salvation. There would be no hope. There would be no answer. There would be no life. Hey, Paul says, who's up to such a task? Only God, no one but God. Certainly not Paul, certainly not us, only God. He says, thanks be to God that he leads us and that his work is done in this world. Hope, we can only matter as a church if we are a group of people surrendered humbly surrendered. Lord, do whatever you want in us. This is not about us. When we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, this is not about our kingdom. This is not about the name of our church. This is not about the reputation of us as a people. When I invite people to this church, I invite them here to meet him, not us. Now we represent him. We reflect him and that's a wonderful thing, but let's always keep it straight. This is not about our church having a big name or growing big. This is about Jesus Christ being known in this world. And the way that that happens is he's known in our lives. That we get out of the way and we let him be in charge, that we live as his captives in his triumphal procession. And when we do, the stakes could not possibly be higher. We are a smell of life for those who believe and a smell of death for those who do not. Those who will respond, we're not in charge of how people respond, but those who will respond and believe, it is life to them. Those who reject Christ will reject us and it is a smell of death for them. And the smell came from this burning, this burning, this burning to draw attention to the power of the victor, to see how powerful he is, to make sure everybody's eyes and attention are on them. And I would say just this, what if your life is on fire so that people will be drawing their attention to see Jesus in you? What if your life is not on fire because you blew it? Because you're a bad person? Because God doesn't like you? Because God doesn't care? What if your life is on fire so that people's eyes are drawn to see Jesus in you? That's the idea here of this aroma. The, the burning was meant to draw people's eyes so that they would see the, the victor here. When our lives burn, do they bring glory to God? Is it cause for celebration that God is in charge? Or does it mess us up? Paul's life and ministry resonate thousands of years later and will continue to resonate for eternity because this is how he lived. How about us? It caused him to live confident no matter what happened, that God was in charge, that God was leading, that God was using the journey to invite people to life in Christ. And Paul celebrated it. Those who are offended by suffering and weakness must be offended by the Savior that we follow because he lived into suffering through weakness. And he, Paul is following his example in his trials, in his suffering. I'm just going to say this as we kind of bring this to a close. If twists and turns are going to make you doubt Jesus, 
If twists and turns are going to cause you to live in anxiety and stress, if you're going to be frustrated by the uncertain, the unknown, the unexpected, then you will not be spreading the aroma of Christ where he takes you. That's your mission, that's your calling, that's your birthright, but you won't be doing it if every twist and turn that represents that you are a captive of Christ is cause for you to freak out. Say this too, if you need to be in charge of your life, if you need to have control to believe that you can have peace, then God won't be in charge of your life. And what that means is you got to find your own victory. Good luck. No victory you can ever win will measure up to the victory Jesus has bought for you. There is no satisfaction in our victories that compares to the ache in our soul. That's why Paul says, there's other people who do what I do. They preach the gospel, but they do it for money. They've decided that their win is being comfortable, being rich, having a bigger audience. But Paul says, my win is being a captive and suffering and humbling myself. That's my win. How about us? What's the win in our life? I guess that's, that really is the question that you're going to live out this week. What is your definition of a successful life? What's your definition of my life is a success? What is your definition of that? Maybe it's not even about results. What Paul says here, it's more about method than results. Because my method assures that God is in charge of the results. And so I don't even evaluate the results. I just make sure I'm on the right method. People today live like successful life is to have a great business, to be well-known, to have a large following, to maintain my health, to be attractive, to be really skilled at something, to have people like me, to have people think that I'm a big deal. This is a successful life in the world's standards. But man, for a believer, we can't get sucked into that. That's not success for us as a believer. You know what success for us as a believer is? Surrender. God, you're in charge, I'm your captive. Take me wherever you want me to go, whenever you want me to go there, for your kingdom, for your glory, for your honor. Is it good news or bad news that you're not in charge of your life? Man, for a believer, it should be great news. But what, what stops us is this. It requires that we trust him, that we surrender to him, that we live as captive to him. That sounds like too big a hurdle, and I don't want to oversimplify this this morning. I get it. We're not going to jump all the way from I'm running my own life to Jesus is completely in charge. There's going to be a growing process in there. I get it. But are you ready to go on that journey? Are you ready to take those steps? Here's what you get. Life from Almighty God. And you get this peace that goes beyond understanding because you know that wherever you go and whenever you go there, God is in charge of your life. And that's success. That God is taking my life exactly where I should go because he knows perfectly and I know very little. Success. Success. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close in a word of prayer and I'll invite you when I'm praying to talk to the Lord. Tell him you're ready to be a student of surrender. Ask him for your help in trusting him with what you wish you could change, but he doesn't seem to be changing. 
to trust that it's good, to trust that it will all be exactly what it needs to be. And you'll be glad a thousand years from now that God was in charge instead of you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we look into your word, we see this challenge to us to give our lives to you freely, to celebrate you as the Lord of our lives. Practically speaking, Father, you know how hard that is. You know how we struggle with it. So I would ask you this day to help us, to teach us, to lead us, even give us the words right now in the conversations that we have with you. To put these things in your hands that are beyond us. That if you gave us a vote, we would vote differently than what you seem to be doing. Father, help us to have the peace that comes from knowing you are in control this day. As we go from this place, help that faith, that surrender, that humility to allow the gospel to just permeate everywhere you take us this week. And when you hijack our plans this week, help us to recognize it and to fight the battle so that we will give thanks for your ownership in our life instead of complaining that we're not in charge. I pray, Father, that you would do this work of renewal in us. We ask it this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.